Good afternoon and welcome to Power for the People here on Solar Power WERU-FM. 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and everywhere in our solar system at WERU.org. I'm your host, Steve Call. The goal of Power for the People is to help meters understand what, frankly, is an increasingly complex energy future, including energy policies, technology, and energy solutions, as we often talk about on this program. Uh, all of those things in, in our state and in your life with the goal, ultimately, to help you reduce your energy costs. And perhaps in the instance of today's show, the information here might also help you decide how to vote uh, coming up uh, in a year or so. My guest today is Seth Berry, who until this week was a Democratic rep from Bodenham and co-chair of the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee. He is a former majority leader of the House and a proponent and bill sponsor of a provocative idea to create a consumer-owned utility that would buy out and run the grid now operated by Central Maine Power, who is, of course, owned by Spanish Iberdrola, uh, and Versant, uh, owned by Canadian Enmax out of Calgary. Both of those were originally were, were homegrown utilities now owned by foreign companies. I would describe Seth as an energy expert, I hope that's okay, and an and advocate for smart energy solutions here in the state of Maine uh, in his time in the legislature. Seth has been on this program before in the uh, interest of full disclosure, back when this idea of a consumer-owned utility was first proposed uh, a year or so ago, I think. So, Seth, welcome to Power for the People. Thank you very much, Steve. It's great to be with you. Well, it's, it's good to see you again and to have uh, more conversation about uh, this idea. So tell before we get into the details of the idea, tell me a little bit more about yourself, about your background that I didn't uh, fill in there. Sure. Well, um, I, I uh, grew up in Bodenham, uh, so I guess I didn't get very far in life. <laughs> um, still, still living here, although I did uh, go away for college, grad school, uh, taught in um, inner city New York and East Harlem and Washington Heights during the 1990s, uh, stayed there for all the 90s. And eventually when I came back home um, as an educator, I, <clears throat> I uh, made a lot of connections in the community and, and got drawn into town government and then state government. And, and you know, you, you, you just sort of said the rest of the story. But my policy interests were always there. As a 10-year-old, I was interested in uh, helping to shut down the nuclear power plant near me, uh, Maine Yankee, and uh, got very involved in that referendum effort, uh, you know, walked 30 miles to Augusta with a group of protesters and learned to type so I could write a letter to the governor. Um, and that was during a previous energy crisis. You know, we all remember the, the 1970s, those of us who were alive then, and the long lines at the gas pump. And and uh, that was really my awakening to energy issues. I, um, I, it stayed with me, Steve, and I, I, I came uh, to the legislature in 2006 and immediately asked to serve on the Energy Committee and um, found that it was really central main power that was standing in the way of our transition to more renewables, especially distributed renewables like rooftop solar and efficiency. So um, I started to look around, and that's what led me to this consumer-owned utility effort, just really looking at what works in other places, um, both in Maine and in other parts of the country, and why it is that some areas of the country are so far ahead of us in shifting to uh, renewable energy and distributed renewables in particular. So, um, you know, it's been my passion project really since 2006. Um, actually uh, introduced the first bill, believe it or not, in 2019. So I've been working on this for four years now, the consumer-owned utility effort, but it's grown, it has blossomed, we have refined it uh, through the legislative process, and I'm very excited to be able to give you an update today. Well, I do appreciate that, and uh, 
And I have to, uh, to echo your uh, interest in energy issues uh, early on. I, I was a, an early member of the Maine Solar Energy Association about 1988, when solar was so expensive that you couldn't even think about doing it. But uh, a friend of mine had it in an off-grid home, and I just said, wait a minute, uh, we got to do that. In, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story here, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, in 1972, when I was a senior in high school, mm-hmm. I wrote a, a, a piece for civics class saying, why don't we have an entirely electric economy? Because we can generate electricity from so many different ways. Why are we continuing to import oil? That was the year before the oil embargo. Yeah, right. I wish I had a copy of that. but uh, I I wish we had just uh, followed your instructions right from the start. We'd be in much much less of a pickle now, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, yeah. I guess (laughs) I'll I'll take that uh, as a a positive. I'm a former teacher too, and who went away and then came back. So, uh, you know, we're a couple of native Mainers here who are are trying to do the right thing for the state. I think. All right. So, uh, uh, the uh, well, I guess let's uh, let's just uh, you you've kind of touched on it, but is there you know, tell me about the other energy issues you may have dealt with in the legislature, just to kind of establish your your legacy, if you will, since you just left the legislature just this week. Well, I, I hate to use the word legacy because uh, it sounds so so final, and I, I do. That's uh, why I used it, so you didn't have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 53, Steve. No, I, uh, I I have I've really enjoyed my my 14 years of service there. Um, it's been an amazing uh, adventure, and you know I, I've been very involved in in uh, tax policy, uh, you know, health insurance policy. I was very proud to sponsor the first in the nation bill to. Um, impose uh, uh, to, or to, to, to uh, take away rather the, the uh, caps, lifetime and annual caps on health insurance uh, benefits, which made it actually that measure first in the nation made its way into um, Obamacare, I'm proud to say. And uh, Obama recognized that when he came to visit us uh, in campaigning in 2012 for re-election. Um, you know, I got involved in environmental policy and sponsored some of the first uh, product stewardship uh, uh, bills around um, compact fluorescent light bulbs, for example, tax policy, tax reform, and helped really help Democrats to um, start talking about tax fairness. Uh, for, for quite a while, I think we lost our way on taxes and, and really weren't looking at the the very inequitable burden uh tax burden um on on lower income mainers in particular so you know i've dabbled in many other areas of policy early childhood education is another real um abiding passion but energy was really the 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 biggest through line and in that area um, i'm very proud that we protected and then finally restored net metering when that policy was finally uh, stripped away by LePage's Public Utilities Commission. It was my bill that re- put net metering back in place, uh, thankfully with the, the signature of uh, Janet Mills. And we were able to enact a, a really um, cutting edge first in the nation non-wires alternatives process, which allows um, uh, projects that are other than the traditional utility poles and wires projects to be considered and evaluated. We've seen some good uh, initial steps on that, although more to come. Um, I was uh, I was there working on nuclear waste issues, you know, back in 2007, 2008. So, you know, <laughs> that, that waste has stayed with us, unfortunately. We've been working on that. Um, uh, we took away some very uh, uh, basic uh, abilities of the utilities to, to abuse their captive customers. Some of those included uh, things like 
uh, customer service minimum requirements. We we got the uh, we got some of the uh, the fines and penalties updated to be more um, consistent with the rate of inflation. Many of those hadn't been updated for many years, so the PUC had very limited abilities to uh, penalize the utilities when they didn't perform. Um, we stopped the utilities from being able to disconnect public safety facilities like fire stations. Believe it or not, P, uh, CMP. Um, if they thought that a town wasn't paying its bills, they would go and disconnect the municipal facilities, just like they do you and me. Um, and, you know, they can still do that to, to the rest of us. But we, we did create a special um, carve out for fire stations because they tried to disconnect the fire station in Newcastle and they tried to disconnect the fire station in Buckfield. It turned out that the towns had paid their bills in both cases. But the, uh, the, the company, the utility said they hadn't, claimed they hadn't, and went and set a technician to, uh, to disconnect. So we, we, we've, we've imposed a heavy penalty if they do that again. They have to give 60 days notice and, and check, check with the town because in both cases, uh, the town had actually paid their bills. Um, some other basic abuses were around um, basically complete uh, indemnity if they electrocuted someone. Um, shockingly, uh, pun intended, the utilities could neglect their lines, high, high voltage lines, they could neglect them, let them sag. And if somebody, you know, touched them, even though they were half as high as they should be, um, then they were completely uh, uh, held harmless in court. This actually happened in 2002 in a boatyard in Penobscot, Maine. There was a young fellow, an 18 year old working at the boatyard. Uh, the line was uh, about half as high as it should have been. And the boatyard worker very tragically was uh, electrocuted um, when the aluminum mast he was moving touched that line. Um, the, the, the court found that CMP was uh, liable, did do wrong and needed to pay $5 million. And, and because of the law, CMP got it overturned. So, so I, I'm going on a bit, but the point is we changed the law to uh, require that, that the utilities, if they, if, if they kill someone, they could actually be held somewhat responsible for their share of, of that neglect. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's been amazing to me to see just how rigged the regulatory system uh, has been and uh, to, to work on updating Maine's laws to, to give regular people a fighting chance against these multinational behemoths. But, um, but I'm proud to say that we've done, we've done a lot. Uh, those are just a few examples. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that my legacy um, will also have a lot to do with our power, which I know we're going to talk about more in the coming uh, 45 minutes or so. Right. Well, yeah, interesting stuff. And uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense for, uh, a, you know, consumer protection for uh, for legislative action on, on things like that. So uh, we have the the back to our power. Uh, so ourpower.org is or that's the web address is, is the group that is uh, that is pushing forward on on making this happen, collecting signatures for a ballot issue issue, presumably in November of 2023. So they're they're the overarching group there. Um, uh, so homegrown, we have we have two homegrown utilities, uh, Central Maine Power and Bangor Hydroelectric, uh, that were both bought out by foreign countries. 
uh, foreign companies, uh, for-profit companies. Uh, and I guess I will say that uh, to me, simplistically, it's hard to argue with the idea of controlling our own energy future here at home. But then the question is, is this the best idea now? Is it the best idea for at some point in the near future? And, 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 and I guess part of it is the best idea. Is it the best idea politically and financially? I, I think yeah. that, is, that kind of sets the stage for our conversation. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want to start on that one and then we'll, and we'll, then we'll continue to parse out other, uh, other aspects? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd be glad to. And, um, you know, the, the website, uh, just, just uh, you know, to make sure that we get that in there up front where people can learn more about this effort that I'll be um, throwing myself into full time now is ourpowermain.org and our power main main is all spelled out um all one word dot o-r-g um is a great place for folks to get involved stay tuned learn more all of that and it does lay out the case in a lot more detail than we'll be able to today about the constitutional legal um procedural and financial considerations um but just at a at a you know thirty five thousand foot level, um, we are shifting to electricity for all of our energy. We're finally doing what your you know high school senior self recommended, right. which is uh, electrifying our economy, electrifying our lives and our livelihoods. And why are we doing that? Well, we're doing that because if we don't, we won't have a livable planet or at, at the very least, our children and our grandchildren will not have a livable planet, right? We're, we, have, we have years, not decades left to make a massive shift in our economy. And, you know, um, I just got an electric vehicle. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I love driving it. Um, I'm very proud to see my central main power bill go up because of that. Um, we put in rooftop solar in 2010, and, and we've we far outstripped the the capacity of of those panels, um, and we're we haven't even gotten to the heat pumps yet. You know, heat pumps is the other big thing that we need to all think about. You know, transportation is fifty four percent of our emissions. Uh, building heating and cooling is thirty percent of our emissions. So those two things alone, electric vehicles and heat pumps, can allow us to electrify. It can allow it can get us away from gasoline, get us away from number two heating oil or natural gas in some cases, um, you know, I heat with wood, but electricity is the fuel of the future. So as, as we shift to those things, we need to think about the, the implications. We will be 100% dependent on a monopoly system of poles and wires, which, as you said, you know, kind of grew up uh, here in Maine um, as private utilities that were, you know, they weren't perfect, <laughs> There were issues even, even, uh, you know, back in the, back in the fifties when, you know, people got a little upset when CMP took away a lot of private land and drowned three villages to make Flagstaff Lake, for example. Right. But, and Walter, uh, Walter Wyman had huge battles with Percival Baxter. Percival Baxter hated central main power, hated Walter Wyman. Uh, Joe Brennan, governor Brennan hated central main power. He complained that it was like they owned the state house and it shouldn't be like that, you know? So, so these, they've never been perfect. But now they are atrocious. We have the two worst utilities in the nation, bar none. No, no, Seth, have, give, give me your honest opinion here. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I'm 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 sugarcoating it for you, Steve. I mean, we the the JD Power does the um, the the industry standard national rankings of all uh, 121 large and mid-sized utilities in the nation on customer satisfaction. They, they're sort of the consumer reports of the of the utility industry, right? And looking at all large and mid-sized utilities in the nation, Central Maine Power year after year after year has been the worst. They've been at the very bottom of the barrel. Fourth worst right now, tied for fourth place with PG&E, which killed 85 people in, in the, those fires out in California and, and, and pled guilty to it, by the way, and, and then went bankrupt. Tied with PG&E is Versant, our other utility. Now, together, those two utilities give us the most frequent outages in the nation, bar none, most frequent, and think about that when you're, you want to shift to heat pumps and electric vehicles, you know, or, or telecommute from home, you know, what about those outages? How's that, how's that you know, impact all of us? Um, they also give us the 10th highest rates in the nation. And having the 10th or 11th, depending on the year, highest rates in the nation is also unhelpful, especially to our lower income uh, residents who pay a very high percentage of their income between 25 and 40% now of their income in energy. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is, is gasoline and oil. But as we shift to electricity, we want to think about the impact to those households, especially, right? And also um, businesses. How, you know, how are the energy intensive businesses of Maine, especially manufacturing, which is a huge, important sector, how are they impacted by energy costs, right? All, also very important. So we have this, this transitional moment, this, this critical transition we're about to make historic generational transition to all electricity and all of a sudden the grid becomes three times more important than it ever was because we need three times more kilowatt hours running through it and it's got to be three times bigger and it is three times more important as a portion of our household budget so who's going to own it who's going to finance it uh you know are we going to finance it at three percent interest or at ten percent interest um, you know, will it keep money here in the state uh, or will it pump money out of the state? You know, these are important questions for this very moment in time. And if we don't answer them correctly, then, you know, uh, our, our children and our grandchildren will be suffering the consequences. Right. And uh, I mean, one number that's floated around a lot that, uh, that I talk even to my students about in class is that uh, Mainers send four or five billion dollars a year out of state and sometimes out of country for That's energy, right. uh, yeah. so, you know, a big chunk of that is 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 fossil fuels. But if it we is. make the transition to electric, then it's going to it's the same thing. Um, That's right. So, That's right. Uh, so, so uh, again, we're staying at the thirty thousand foot level, uh, mm-hmm. and we can we'll, we will focus on some more details, I guess, coming up. Why why would anybody think? Why would a voter think who who presumably will vote on this uh, mm-hmm. in in November of twenty three? Uh, why would a voter believe that a consumer-owned utility could do a better job? Well, for one thing, um, there are 97 towns here in Maine who already have some access to consumer-owned power. Um, Not all of all of those towns, but 97 towns have at least some residents served by a consumer-owned utility right here in Maine. Um, These are towns like Kennebunk, Madison, Holton, Van Buren, Callis, in, in 97 towns, uh, because of a, a local municipally owned utility or a, an electric cooperative, um, there's one in down East Maine serving 77 towns, Eastern Maine Electric Cooperative. They have lower rates, they have better reliability, 
and they have local control. Uh, right now, all in with uh, both the delivery and supply, the rates that are being paid in uh, Kennebunk and Holton and Madison are about half what you and I are, are uh, paying per kilowatt hour if we have uh, Versant or CMP. About half? Is that yep. right? About I half. I was not aware about of half. that. Yeah, they're, they're I don't know, 11, 12 cents a kilowatt hour all in. And, uh, and then the captive customers of CMP and Versant, we are paying, you know, 21, 22, 23 cents per kilowatt hour. So, so that's, that's cost, right? And that's a huge opportunity if we can reduce those costs by removing the guaranteed profits these, these foreign-owned utilities, these monopolies uh, are, are, you know, receiving built into their rates. And if we shift to, to um, you know, locally controlled consumer utilities, we also know that reliability improves and customer satisfaction improves. Now, Looking nationally, there are actually more a higher percentage of consumer-owned not-for-profit utilities than there are here in Maine. Maine is 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 relatively heavy on private utilities, but nationally, 28% of Americans have a consumer-owned utility. They own their own utility instead of the utility owning them. You know, <laughs> and 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 let's face it, you know, I, I'm a CMP customer. CMP basically owns me. I have, they own my business. I have no choice. Yes, I can put on rooftop solar and that gives me a little choice, but they're even, they've been fighting that too. And I still have to pay at least a minimum bill to central main power. They own my business with a consumer and utility. These 28% of Americans, they own the utility, whether it's through a co-op or through what's called a muni. And some munis, by the way, are, you know, as big as, as an entire, um, you know, as, as big as, as central main power, um, you know, one, Else, one being, elsewhere in the country you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's right. That's right. So um, nationally uh, the, the cost of a consumer and utility, the typical bill for a consumer and utility customer is 11% lower than it is for uh, the, the national average for an investor owned or private utility. And the reliability is even more stark a difference. It is twice as good. In other words, the total number of minutes without power in the uh, consumer-owned utilities of the United States are half what the uh, it, what it is for the investor-owned utilities. It's about one hour on average without power versus two hours without power, which adds up. And again, Maine right now is the worst reliability in the country. So you know, we, we, we understand the importance of reliable power. Um, and one, of, one other thing I'll, I'll say, Steve, is that, you know, I think many of your listeners in particular, WERU listeners, really understand the, climate, the looming climate catastrophe, the importance of climate in all of this. You know, when we talk about energy, for me, that's what's really at stake. You know, that's the number one motivating concern. You know, and I, I care about costs. I care about certainly about uh, economic justice, uh, reliability, all of those things. But climate is uh, an existential uh, threat to the future of our children and grandchildren. And so that's why I asked to be on the Energy Committee back in 2006. I've been concerned about that since, you know, at least since Al Gore's book came out more than 30 years ago. And 
that led me to look at where where is it in the United States that they are getting to 100% renewables? What are the communities that are leading on climate? And guess what? It's not where you might think. It's not the you know liberal bastions of the country that are getting to 100% renewables first. It's Greensburg, Kansas, Republican country. Georgetown, Texas, Republican country. Uh, Rockport, Missouri, Republican community. Kodiak, Alaska, also Republican. Those four communities and two liberal communities, uh, Burlington, Vermont, and Aspen, Colorado, the six together are the first United States communities that got to 100% renewable electricity. Those are the six. So what do they have in common? You know, once I learned that about those six, I said, what do they have in common? Well, guess what? All six of those communities are served by consumer-owned utilities, all six of them. And what are the chances? What, you know, I don't know if you're into statistics, but what are the chances, you know, if 28% of Americans are served by a not-for-profit consumer utility, what are the chances that all six of the first to get to 100% renewables would be in that category? I think it's astronomically slim, it, which suggests to me that it's not a coincidence. It has to do with the business model. This is a superior business model if we are going to to move quickly towards renewable power. Well, very interesting points. And I'll just add to that uh, in a somewhat related way that uh, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes in class is that the the coal museum in in Lexington, Kentucky, converted to solar PV uh, a few years ago because the price was lower. So uh, there, there it goes. That's right. So um, I just had a question pop up as a result of something you asked. Oh, yeah. So consumer-owned utilities, are their rates set by the PUC? They are not. Um, Typically, they get to decide for themselves. They have elected boards, um, whether it's a cooperative uh, member-owned board uh, or um, elected through more traditional elections. There is a mechanism where if the rates go up more than 15% or if the public advocate requests it, they can be brought in for a rate case and a decision by the Public Utilities Commission. So that's main law right now. What we propose, what our power main proposes is to create a new utility called the Pine Tree Power Company and the Pine Tree Power Company, once it replaces CMP and Versant, would be overseen by a board that we elect and, and some additional um, appointed members that those elected members choose, 13 members in all. And in addition, there would be oversight by the Public Utilities Commission. So we, we do actually um, continue with PUC oversight at least for the 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 initial period that could be reconsidered down the road i'm not sure it's necessary in the long run but we decided to kind of keep the um, you know keep keep that additional layer of oversight and and a little bit of check and balance in the business plan for pine tree power company and, and so we get that- into that if you want but uh you know the short answer is uh typically they are not subject to puc oversight but the pine tree power company would be and that's that's uh, the proposal that you guys have put forward that would be voted on. Is that that's correct? Right. So that's that's that's, right. that's fine print. That's not going to be on the ballot, but that correct. would be part of the proposal that to be voted on is that the PUC would continue yeah. to be involved. 
Exactly. I think that that, that, that is an important detail, of course. It is. Um, yeah. And you mentioned the board. So uh, tell me, actually, I'll, I'll, let me just say why I, I reached out to you. I reached out to you because I saw the press release that you were leaving the legislature this week. And so the timing was perfect. The other yep. reason was I was actually approached by somebody in a parking lot this week. Uh, to get a signature on what I'm pretty sure was a, an anti-consumer-owned utility uh, initiative. Uh, right. And the person started by saying, do you realize that if we vote for this thing, it's going to add $200 a month to our utility bill? Uh, and that kind of, that just struck me as the ultimate in fake news, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So tell me, yeah. tell me let, let's, let's go into the finances a little bit, and, but let me just uh, reintroduce you just uh, for the purposes of making sure everybody was clear that what we are listening uh, here to, you are listening to Power for the People on WERU uh, FM. And my guest today is Seth Berry. Um, and as we said, former chair of the legislature's energy committee, and now an advisor to the group advocating for a consumer owned utility. So to, to the finances, let, let me, let me prompt you this way. You said a few minutes ago, do we want to pay 3% uh, interest on, uh, on our electricity, if you want to put it that way, or 10%? Tell me right. where those numbers come from. Yeah. Yeah, they come, in fact, from uh, something that the legislature can't change, the regulators can't change, not even Congress can change it very easily. Um, and that is uh, U.S. Supreme Court jurisprudence. There were some cases decided in favor of the utility monopolies back in the 1920s and 1940s. Uh, specifically, Bluefield was a case decided in the 1920s and Hope, another decision decided in the 1940s. They really set the the uh, the guardrails for how utilities earn their compensation, and what they said was, if a utility invests a dollar, then the rates need to be set such that they will make back their dollar, and they will make uh, a, a guaranteed profit on that, which over. Uh, over time, over the course of the payback period, needs to be basically what the market average, the historical market average for equity investments provides. So they have, they have very, very, you know, typical market investments involve a lot of risk, but the utilities receive essentially risk-free profit because of that decision. And not only that, but the, the investment itself is what triggers the profits. It's not performance. It's not efficient and smart management. It's not customer satisfaction. It's did you did you put this money in or not? Right? And it's also being a, a monopoly. Correct. And right. they have a monopoly. You and I have no choice. So they don't need to worry about competition. Um, because, you know, let's face it, if CMP had competition, they would have gone bankrupt years and years ago. You know, they're the worst rated by their own customers in the entire nation. Um, versus you know, as I mentioned earlier, is is uh, you know tied for third, third or fourth worst with PG&E. So the point being, the the way they are compensated is that they make equity profits off of risk-free investments, and that's a pretty astonishingly bad idea if you really want to depend on utilities for all of your energy future. What happens with consumer utilities is very different. They access tax-exempt revenue bonds, tax-exempt debt. 
And so uh, Eastern Maine Electric Cooperative or Madison Electric or Holton or Kenny Bunk, any of our consumer utilities in Maine, or for that matter, elsewhere in the country, will go out and borrow from revenue bond banks, typically at two or three percent interest. Even in today's, even in today, I mean, given interest rate fluctuations, is that still going to be the true? most recent? The most recent fluctuations will probably drive that up a half a percent, and then you know it sounds like they'll be going up, you know, to to a whole percent. But you know, it'll so it might go up to three to four percent interest, right? But what we anticipate um, is that there will continue to be that that same differential. It's a historic differential, a historic pattern between equity. Uh, investments and tax exempt debt. Part of the the magic here is that this debt is tax exempt. These are nonprofits, and so their revenue bonds, their debt is exempt both to the buyer and to the seller of the bonds, and that brings the 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 interest rate down by about two percent. You know, if I if I start a business and I go out and borrow from a bank, I'll be paying. Uh, tax that 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 debt will be taxable both to the buyer and the seller, right. and that adds about two percent. So we so we remove that. You got a very very low interest rate. Um, this is how our current energy uh, you know nonprofit energy utilities borrow now. It's how the Maine Turnpike Authority borrows right now. Um, any uh, um, finance authority of Maine, Maine State Housing Authority, any uh, entity that has an ongoing stream of revenue can borrow against that stream of revenue. Because the bond banks love it, you know. Hey, if you've got a if you've got a captive customer base, and let's face it, you know, utility customers pay their bills. Nobody wants to be disconnected. If you've got a captive customer base, we're happy to lend to you. We are very happy to to uh, see that you have a very secure revenue stream. You will be able to pay that back. We will get you know a, a little bit of profit from it. You know, three four percent, not not a lot, but we'll get a little money back and. Um, and so revenue bonds, tax-exempt revenue bonds, are a big part of the financial magic here. And it, it really isn't magic, it's just math. But, you know, it, over time, because of compound interest, by borrowing at 3 or 4%, instead of borrowing at, you know, 10 or 12%, we end up cutting the cost of our utility and, the, and the, the, all the expenses in the future roughly in half, we're going to pay about half of what we would otherwise. And that is why right now you see in Maine, consumer utilities, you know, costing half as much as our investor in utilities. That's why you see that they're cheaper in other parts of the country. So it really isn't magic. It really is math. And, and it, it's just, it's just a good business move on our part to say, you know, guys, CMP, Versant, you know, uh, foreign owners of CMP and Verson. It's been nice doing business with you, um, but this is no longer in the public interest. And that privilege, that monopoly privilege, which we have given you in in the law for such such a long time, is going to change. We're going to pay you what you're worth. And and by the way, we know what you're worth because you you say that every every year they put that on file at the Public Utilities Commission. It's part of rate making. Um, so we're going to pay you what you're worth. And we're going to terminate the relationship now. Um, again, you know, nice doing business with you, but we think there's a better business model for Maine's future, and it involves local control and not-for-profit uh, consumer ownership of the utilities. So, when you say three percent, I understand the three percent on revenue bonds is the ten percent number that you mentioned. Is that the, the profit, if you will, that CMP sends to 
to Spain? Is that the typical profit? That's right. All of the equity investment um, that that is made in um, our grid typically earns about 10%. And sometimes it's more. Um, you know, typically the regulators will actually overestimate uh, because they don't want to get sued. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple of Supreme Court cases that the utility industry won. And ever since then, I think regulators at the state level have been very nervous about um, taking on the utility industry, uh, you know, going a little too far with their decisions, you know, reducing that, that return on equity as part of rate making. And so they've really erred on the side of the utilities. And that is part of the fundamental problem. Hmm. But, you know, we're, we're, we're pumping money out of the state um, pretty rapidly to the utilities already. That will increase as we invest more in our, as, as the utilities invest more. If we keep the businesses we have and Central Maine Power invests more in the grid, um, Versant invests more in the grid, uh, that amount that we are pumping out of the state will increase. And we need investments. There's no question that the grid needs investments. It needs hardening. It needs beefing up. It needs to have more capability to uh, interconnect, you know, solar and other renewables. Um, you know, we can do a lot with efficiency. It doesn't have to be overbuilt, uh, but it does need to be uh, upgraded. And, you know, I, every time I hear CMP saying, you know, that they're going to be investing in the grid, I get nervous because that means you and I are going to be paying even more than we are now. So, in you know, investment is... Um, is a real double-edged sword uh, when it's when it's the foreign equity investors that are doing it. Well, and, and this was uh, covered on another one of our programs, and I don't want to go into it in detail, but because you you've kind of prompted me on it, uh, there was the you're familiar with the Booth Bay project, probably yep. where Grid yep. Solar uh, made right. a proposal to CMP, who was going to do a multi-million dollar line upgrade. They said, "Can we do efficiency instead?" And they did it for a tenth of the cost, in round numbers. Uh, and CMP didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, the Booth Bay project was the the first non wires alternatives project in Maine, and it really was a great example of how solar and efficiency um, can can be m- much cheaper, much greener, uh, and and just as reliable as a big up- upgrade to the lines. And that's what led to my bill on non wires alternatives. Um, you know, I think. I think the, the utilities, unfortunately, still have a lot of um, power over the planning process. We are working to loosen that up. Uh, the governor's recent bill uh, will help us to move forward with that. But planning is incredibly important. Um, prior approval of projects by regulators is very important. But it's hard. You know, it's very, they, they, these multinational companies are so big now, and they have so many resources at their disposal, legal, engineering, financial, they can run circles around, you know, the tiny little state regulatory agencies that attempt to oversee them. Central Maine Power is owned by Avangrid, which is a, a behemoth, and that behemoth is owned by an even bigger Goliath uh, called Iberdrola. Iberdrola is based in a skyscraper in Bilbao, Spain. They have they own utilities and energy companies all over the world. And they, in turn, are owned by many investors. One of them is the, the, the government of Qatar in the Middle East. Hmm. Another owner of Iberdrola is the government of Norway. Um, both, of, both Qatar and Norway have significant oil wealth. Hmm. And because of their state, state-owned oil wealth, I might add, 
And because the, 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 those governments are, you know, swimming in money, they've decided they need to invest it. And so one of these investments has been Iberdrola, um, you know, and, and, and Versant, uh, for those listeners who are uh, captive customers of Versant, you know, your company, talk about government ownership, your company is owned by uh, a, a municipal utility in Calgary, Canada, the city of Calgary, Canada owns a for-profit utility in Maine. Mm, it's, right. it's remarkable. And, yeah. and so uh, that money, that the, the excess uh, profits that uh, folk, folks are paying to Versin is being used to pay for municipal sidewalks and municipal hockey rinks in Calgary, Canada. And meanwhile, my conservative friends are saying, what the heck is going on here? Why are we letting foreign governments own our critical infrastructure? How could this be? How does this make sense? Um, you know, worse reliability, worse customer satisfaction, no free market competition. What could go wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, what could go wrong with all this foreign government ownership of critical infrastructure? What could go wrong having the worst utility uh, reliability in the nation? What could go wrong with no competition, no free market? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's a pretty absurd situation when you step back and look at it, especially when there is such a, an obvious uh, proven utility model that exists, a proven business model that's been around since the very beginning of the electrical era. Right. Well, so let me let me ask you here in just a moment to uh, explain what the, uh, you know, whether this is going to be a state-owned utility or not versus a public-owned, and I think that's an important distinction. But first, let me just remind everybody that you're listening to Power for the People here on WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, Solar Power, WERU, of course, I should say that. Uh, and my guest today is Seth Berry, who, again, just stepped down as chair of the Legislatures, Legislature's Energy uh, Committee and is now an advisor to the group advocating for consumer-owned utility. And, and uh, he has introduced legislation to that effect uh, as well. Um, that, uh, that entity is tentatively called Pine Tree Power. Uh, and as you said a few minutes ago, it will have a, a board. And so the, the first question is, and this actually comes up as a result of a, of a quote from a legislator whose name I don't even remember and wouldn't say it anyway, um, but he said that this proposal is a communist proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, me, tell me whether, whether is, it, is it going to be a statewide entity and is it a communist takeover? How's, how's that for? It's, it's, it's certainly not a communist takeover. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a, if, if you think that public schools is a communist idea, if you think that, um, you know, having a, a, an army and a navy, um, which is, you know, which belongs to the people is a communist idea. Um, if you think that, you know, roads and bridges are a communist idea, then I suppose it's a communist idea. But, but, but no, of course not. It's not a communist idea. And no, it's not statewide. And it's not state owned and it's not state run. None of those things are true. Um, and on, on the contrary, they are, they are lies and propaganda that are being pushed out there by uh, the very, very well-funded uh, PR uh, channel that CMP has opened up for itself or that it's more accurately that, that Iberdrola has, is paying for. Um, so, so let's get into that. So um, as I mentioned, there are nine utilities in Maine now, which are consumer-owned, not-for-profit utilities. The governance of Pine Tree Power is fundamentally no different. You know, their customers elect the board directly. They issue tax-exempt revenue bonds of their own. They do not use tax dollars. They are not the state. 
and the state doesn't, you know, doesn't govern them other than making the laws, which the state does to all of us, right? So, you know, I work for a private business. The state makes the laws that that uh, my business has to behave by, but that doesn't mean the state runs our business, right? <laughs> so, um, the, the these are not state-run. Consumer-run utilities again are are well understood. They serve ninety-seven towns in Maine. And Pine Tree Power Company would just be a bigger version of those. Oh, so would it be cool. statewide? No, there, there are 488 towns in Maine, 97 of them. You do the math, 488 towns in Maine, 97 of them now served by consumer-owned utilities. So it's not going to be statewide either because we're going to leave those existing utilities alone. It's just CMP and Versant, which is the rest of us, that will be upgraded, right? So, um, you know, what we propose is... Um, to serve those of us who are currently captive customers of these, you know, these utility monopolies that are owned by foreigners and foreign governments, um, you know, and and um, this is this is not a business model that's worked well for us. There is a proven alternative, a proven um, superior alternative, and so we switch to that. Um, with respect to costs, there are also some lies being pushed out by our opponents about how this is going to cost more. I think we've already kind of covered that. You know, the, the track record of consumer ownership is is exactly the opposite. It is cheaper. Um, there was a transition in Winter Park, Florida in uh, about 2005, and rates went down, reliability went up. Uh, there was a transition in Jefferson County, Washington in 2008 or so. Rates have gone down, reliability has gone up. They've done more with renewables. In Long Island, New York, they had a transition, a massive utility, uh, Lilco, Long Island Lighting Company, the most expensive in the nation, private utility, the most expensive utility in the nation. People hated them. They switched to Long Island Power Authority and rates went down 20% immediately. And and that 20% reduction, I think, was a little aggressive. Um, My hope is that the Pine Tree Power Company board will lower rates by 10% or so. And invest the difference in the in reliability because we do need to be thinking about hardening the grid. We need investment in the grid. So we could lower rates by 20%, like they did in Long Island. But the smarter move would be to take half of it and and put it into the future, put it into you know the grid of the future, which we will depend on. So uh, you following up on that Long Island example where it was a fairly large utility, uh, mm-hmm. I wonder how long that transition took. And I asked the question in the context of, I think one of the reasons that people might be opposed to this is they think it could be litigious and take decades just to throw it. What what was your, what's your understanding of that transition? Yeah, that, so um, a couple of things, the, the utilities always threaten to sue and, and, and then they say, well, it's going to take a really long time. You shouldn't do it because it's going to take a long time. And when you say, why is it going to take a long time? It's because we, because we're going to sue you, you know, we've, we've, we're going to, we're going to make it really hard for you. And so you shouldn't do it. You know, this is like the abusive partner, you know, telling his, 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 you know, his wife, his, his battered wife, you know, you, you, you better not leave this relationship because it's going to be really painful for you. Right. I mean, that's what they're, that's what they're threatening us with. Mm. So think about that. Think about how crazy that that would be as a reason not to do it. Um, you know, could it be hard? Uh, well, they're gonna they're gonna do their best to make it hard. But there are a couple things that we can do. One is um, we will have a lot of 
uh, ability financially to sweeten the deal. If we need to pay a little more than we, than we should, then that's certainly a possibility just to make it go more quickly. Um, I hate to say it that way, but that's, you know, that, that will be part of the considerations uh, that the board needs to make. The other thing is looking at those uh, examples where it has taken time and Long Island did take a while. It was about 10 years. Um, Boulder, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado um, got complicated as well. And that took about 10 years. Although they, I will say in both cases, a lot of really good uh, progress was made. And I think in, I think the vast majority of people in those areas uh, would stand by the decisions they made um, and would have done the same thing over again if they were given a second chance. But um, those were two very unique circumstances. Long Island, uh, there was a nuclear power plant which had been built called Shoreham, and it was a mess and it was never finished. It was, uh, it, it was essentially, you know, a, a billion dollar, uh, you know, ball and chain around that financial transaction. And so that was a huge issue. Out in Colorado, uh, the issue was in part that they needed to separate from the larger grid. So Boulder was looking at separation costs where you need to sort of re-engineer the grid to stand alone. We don't have that because what we're talking about is actually buying out the whole kit and caboodle, the whole utility. And so there's no engineering cost. There's no separation costs as there was in Boulder. Our situation is... um, you know, I think probably a bit more like Winter Park, Florida and Jefferson County, Washington, where it, it only took a couple of years and they made the transition and it went very smoothly. And last thing on this, Steve, is we, we did have a feasibility study done. Um, the Public Utilities Commission uh, selected London Economics to do the work. They evaluated the legalities of this proposal and they said, yes, it is legal. Yes, it is constitutional. Yes, you can do this. Yes, it will likely save you money. And by the way, here are some ways that you can streamline the proposal to move that transition along more quickly. And they gave us some excellent suggestions, which we incorporated into the referendum. And uh, that will help to accelerate the transition significantly. Specifically, there's a refereed um, process for determining the acquisition value. We can get into that if you want, but um, I think the four years we've been working on this and the two different legislatures that have looked at it, the feasibility study, that's really helped us to refine this proposal and to make sure that we are going in um, with the very best language possible. All right. And, and uh, you do have, I mean, I, I was on a, a Zoom that happened on this a while back, and you do have some prominent Republicans yep. involved in the case. So it would be nice to think that for a change, we could have something bipartisan happen uh, in the world. Right. Uh, but but again, let me uh, let me just ask one uh, at least one more uh, key question here for for people to understand what this might look like. You mentioned the board, so this yeah. is a nonprofit in essence, like right. any other NGO, um, and you and you said it would be an elected board. How would that be a statewide election? There would be elections, and so in that sense, it's a bit it's it's a bit governmental in flavor. Um, and and CMP will try to to you know translate that as uh, state state owned or state run, but it's not. Um, it is true that we will get to elect the board, and um, that is specific. To, to, I want to qualify that a little bit. We will elect seven members of the board. The other six will be selected by the seven elected members based on specific qualifications. There will be an energy, uh, a utility uh, managerial expert on the board that they choose. 
there will be someone with expertise in renewable energy on the board. There will be someone with expertise in labor and and uh, specifically the, the concerns of utility workers. Um, there will be someone with the with expertise in the, the needs and concerns of lower income customers. Um, someone representing the business uh, the business consumers um, of electricity. So those members round out with their unique expertise, the, the elected membership of the board, you end up with 13 members of the board who oversee a core staff. And, and I want to make that clear. They're setting the direction. They're setting the policy, right? But they're not managing the grid. They will hire an executive director, a, uh, an operations officer, uh, legal counsel. And some of those people... Some of the leadership could be the people that are already involved in CMP, and, and many of them, the workers would stay on board, presumably the same. Workers. All all of the workers, all of the workers would stay on board, and I think you know some of the managers may as well. Um, I, I do think that there's a lot of of competent, uh, good people uh, working for these companies, and the problem is not the the main based staff. The problem is the um, the actual management, which is working from a skyscraper in Bilbao, Spain, hmm. or in a municipal building in Calgary, Canada, right? That's where the real decisions are being made. And so I, I think, yes, answering to different, um, to, to a different boss, these folks could do just fine. Um, the one other thing I'll say just about the operations, the organizational chart here is that that board, it, it will actually oversee a private company who's doing the day-to-day operations. So the 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 day-to-day operations will a be private managed non- private nonprofit by a private yeah well right so it's a it's it's publicly owned but it's in a nonprofit way but it'll be privately operated and so so ownership and operations are are separate Mm-hmm. And that gives you the benefit of competition, the benefit of private sector competition in the management. You can pay for performance instead of paying for simple equity ownership. And I mentioned earlier that because of our the way our utilities are governed, we can't do that now. We only pay them for their their equity investments. We do not pay them for performance. That's why they perform poorly. We do not pay them for efficiency. That's why they're inefficient. We don't pay them for reliability because that's why they're then that's why they're unreliable. Um, and this goes back to the U.S. regulatory system being rigged by those Supreme Court decisions. So there's a better business model. We're going to take advantage of that for the ownership, and we can still have uh, private sector operations and really pay for performance rather than for uh, lousy service. Right. So let me, we're, we're down to just a couple of minutes here. Uh, and, and I have one question that perhaps might help people understand it uh, even better. Uh, am I correct that the model here we're talking about is analogous to the main turnpike authority? It's very similar because that too is, is um, financed by, by tax exempt debt. It is, uh, you know, owned publicly, but it's not the state and it is uh, operated uh, in many respects, privately, most of the work on the turnpike is done by private companies w- with, you know, competitive bidding uh, for the the work that is done. And so, yes, I think it's very analogous. Um, you know, I, I, I think there are other better examples. The Sacramento Municipal Utility District is another example I like to turn to 
they are the, fir- the, the leading large United States utility in getting to 100% renewables. And I mentioned the six communities that are leading. But in the, if you look at large utilities, the leaders are also consumer-owned utilities. Mm-hmm. Sacramento Municipal Utility District, which is as big as Central Maine Power, is leading the nation in getting to 100% renewables. Next in line in that, in that leadership pack is the LA Water and Power District. There's another in the Pacific Northwest. These are the leaders nationally, and that's why we need to turn to this business model. Right. So, sounds, uh, it certainly sounds uh, interesting. It's going to be something that we will uh, have discussions about, we in the state, going forward. And uh, again, your goal is to have a, a referendum uh, item on the ballot in 2000, November of 2023, correct? That's right. We need people to go to ourpowermain.org, uh, learn more, sign up to help. You can donate, you can volunteer, you can get involved right there. Sign up for our email list, ourpowermain.org. We'll be hearing more about it without a question. So you have been listening here to Power for the People on WERU-FM, uh, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, with uh, guest Seth Berry, former chair of the Legislature's Energy Committee, and now an advisor to the group advocating for a consumer-owned utility, as we've been discussing out here, tentatively called Pine Tree Power, which, again, may be on the ballot as early as November of 2023. Tune in next month on the fourth Wednesday at 4 p.m. to learn more about energy topics, policies, technologies, and solutions in our state and for your life. Seth, thanks so much. Uh, good to see you. Good to chat with you. Uh, and we will, uh, we will no doubt be chatting with you again soon and probably talking about this uh, one more time on air before November. No, Thank you, Steve. Thank, thanks a million. Thank you.